Welcome everyone. Very good evening to PitchCamp's uh, webinar series. We are on our 20th webinar today on growth marketing and sales leadership uh, series. Today we have a wonderful uh, guest and uh, you know speaker from yellowmessenger.com, Neil Berman, who is a chief growth officer at Yellow Messenger. Welcome, Neil. Thank you so much for being on PitchCamp. Thanks, Bimlesh. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. It's a Friday evening. I, you know, I know it's, uh, you know, it's the end of the week for many of us. Uh, at the same time, you know, I want to uh, thank each one of you for taking time to join us. And I just want to share a small uh, good news with each one of you. Uh, thanks for your patronage over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, what started as a small initiative today, I'm proud to announce that we have had, uh, you know, more than thousand plus people. Uh, you know who have registered and attended our uh, webinar uh, series and I'm just grateful and filled with gratitude to all speakers and to the fellow part you know attendees uh, who have trusted our platform you know to get some insights uh, you know from some great uh, speakers on some key topics so thank you so much so uh, without further uh, delay I'll just talk a little bit about PitchCamp. Uh, PitchCamp is an initiative that we launched early this year with an intent to help people to share their ideas with the world better. Uh, so our primary focus is uh, for entrepreneurs. We help them with investor pitch coaching and with sales coaching, uh, so that you you know for tech founders you're never alone in your in your growth and your sales uh, journey. Uh, so with this, uh, welcome each one of you once again to Pitch Camp and uh, welcome Neil. Thank you so much. You're joining in from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia today. Thanks, Bimlish. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, congratulations to you in terms of uh, uh, attaining the, the first milestone of uh, thousand uh, followers, thousand registrants. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, as every entrepreneur feels the the pride in terms of uh, attaining every milestone, I'm sure uh, it must be a great feeling for you. So congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So let's kick this off, Neil. So talk to us, uh, you know, a little bit about your background, uh, you know, your career, and you know, how did you get into uh, Yellow Messenger? Uh, you know, I I have known Raghu, uh, you know, for a while we met. We met, I think I met Raghu very early, uh, you know, when he had a first prototype on, you know, fashion matching algorithm yes. in a Microsoft event. So uh, it's amazing to see Hello Messenger grow, uh, you know, to where uh, you are right now in the enterprise, uh, you know, bot and digital transformation space. So talk to us a little bit about your background and then we'll talk about the Hello Messenger journey. Sure. So I, I, I call Raghu the, the Bruce Wayne of uh, uh, Indian startup. Uh, whoever meets Raghu never forgets Raghu. Uh, that's how he is. So, of course, uh, I'm, I mean, no surprise there that you still remember Raghu. And I think that must have been close to three and a half, four years back uh, that you're referring to the, the Microsoft interaction. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit, bit about uh, my world before Yolo Messenger. So I, I never started my career in sales. I started my career into vendor management. Uh, I was a vendor manager for, for AT&T. And uh, after that, uh, I just, I mean, as it happens, right, I found my calling in sales. Uh, I thought it's, it's much, there's much more adrenaline in sales. Um, and uh, this is something which I wanted to pursue. So uh, started working um, with the first wave of Indian startups very early on. So I was uh, part of the the early team at, at Capillary. Uh, and uh, that's where my startup uh, journey actually started. So uh, have been actively building teams uh, for, for new and startup. I, I tried a small stint, uh, collaborated with a few friends, uh, started a small stint myself into computer vision, but uh, the timing wasn't right. The um, Amazons of the world were landing in India and uh, we were trying to go in an, in an offline world at that point in time. So that quite didn't uh, work out. However, the, the good part that came out of that was uh, I met these three wonderful gentlemen at Microsoft Accelerator, uh, and uh, uh, they had the vision of uh, uh, doing something great with uh, uh, Yellow Messenger. So um, the my joining Yellow Messenger was, was purely accidental. Um, 
I was in Bangalore. Um, it was, uh, and I was meeting Rahu uh, over coffee at uh, at, a, at a coffee shop on a, on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, with, uh, the agenda of the meeting was uh, to kind of do a, a little bit of brainstorming in terms of how Yellow Messenger can do remote selling uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, and he he needed my inputs. Uh, so I, I was in Bangalore for a very short period of time, and uh, then. Um, uh, he we spoke about how it's possible how much of it is possible and uh, then he started talking names which were enterprises and i said uh, uh, reaching out to enterprises in southeast asia sitting in india is not going to be easy it's uh, i've never seen um, uh, indian it companies or indian saas companies succeed in in kind of remotely selling to southeast asian enterprises so i said um, it would need um, uh, field presence and uh, somebody if you if you're looking to hire somebody drive somebody then of course it it calls out with uh, a presence in southeast asia and um, uh, suddenly ragu said that uh, let's do it uh, why don't you join us and <clears throat> i said okay uh, so that's how the journey started and uh, uh, in 2018 when i i joined yellow messenger uh, literally the the first two guys uh, uh, in the sales team was me and Raghu, uh, and uh, today in 2020, even in the middle of COVID, uh, we are we are a little over 140 people sales team at Yellow Messenger. Wow! So uh, we have we have grown from uh, uh, one team, I mean one member in in Bangalore and one member in Kuala Lumpur to to now people spread across uh, nine cities globally. Okay. And, uh, uh, yeah, so that that's pretty much how the journey started, and uh, um, it's it's continuing. So uh, the the growth, I mean, of course, the aspiration for the growth was there, and uh, it's it's pretty much uh, the way uh, we wanted to steer it. Uh, I I think we are we are able to steer it that way, uh, and uh, the the good part is uh, uh, while everybody was was kind of paranoid with COVID, uh, we kind of embraced it and. Uh, it gave us the, the much needed uh, tailwind also that we needed so we're going to we're going to be talking about it as we as we go along uh, in the discussion sure sure apart from apart from uh, you know your illustrious uh, career prior to Hello messenger you have also been involved in a lot of uh, you know other activities associations uh, yes you know, yes sales enablement society and future of SaaS. so talk to us a little, little bit of that before we jump in into oh, absolutely. absolutely. So, sales enablement society. Yeah. So, so let me let me tell you about uh, sales enablement society. So, um, uh, as a as a sales guy, the the realization was always there that um, uh, B schools also don't teach you sales. They let you do uh, degrees and hold certificates in marketing, but uh, sales is always kind of uh, experience and learning. Uh, and uh, rather uh, not shying away from it, it's rather the mistakes uh, which you train your your next line of uh, uh, reportees or or the people you're mentoring and the, the team that you're building. You just uh, pass on that knowledge. So we wanted to. Uh, so a few of us in in Bangalore, uh, we wanted to build something uh, which caters to sale uh, learning in terms of sales. Uh, what and all uh, you have learned and. Uh, Bangalore, as you know, is a is a uh, I mean, has a considerable amount of uh, 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 I mean resources, considerable amount of uh, uh, salespeople uh, for working for all the all the IT SaaS companies, uh, and uh, we wanted to bring them together and share the learning, uh, both in terms of what worked and what didn't work. Uh, while we were brainstorming on that, the realization came in that there's already a a group in in United States who have done something like that. So one of the uh, board members of the of the current sales enablement society, India chapter, he flew down to US. He he attended a few of those sessions, and then we started those sessions in in Bangalore. So we formed the first uh, chapter in Bangalore uh, for sales enablement society. And uh, right after the form, we formed the chapter. We learned that we are the first chapter outside United States. <laughs> So, so then, uh, then it uh, came upon us to kind of, kind of build the chapters uh, all over. So we built our, uh, I mean, we built a, a Delhi chapter, we built a Mumbai chapter, or Chennai chapter, 
then we went on building. Uh, so there was another chapter created uh, for ASEAN, which was based out of Singapore. Uh, I created the, the Kuala Lumpur chapter. Okay. Then uh, uh, we created a chapter in Lahore, a chapter in Dubai, uh, and uh, we went on. We went on building uh, multiple chapters. So uh, I think currently we are about um, close to six thousand, seven thousand odd chapter members uh, for Sales Enablement Society across Asia, okay. and uh, it's uh, only focused towards uh, uh, learning towards sales. Uh, and I mean, we discuss everything, starting from. Sure. Uh, the learnings of selling to a large enterprise to how to uh, who a CIO uh, on an on an RFP document to what kind of pricing work in a in a telecom domain. So we discuss right. everything and a lot of learning, a lot of learning and sharing. That's a core fundamental of the chapter. Uh, that's there. Uh, future of SaaS happened. Uh, uh, so future of SaaS was. Uh, uh, there in um, on Europe and uh, uh, in North America, I think there was there was one um, uh, chapter that was there based out of London, and um, that was not uh, interesting, not getting that that interest from the the Asian larger Asian uh, SaaS population. So they thought of doing uh, another chapter in uh, Singapore, and uh, they they did a virtual event about about a month back, which was the first. Uh, uh, pure SaaS event, uh, SaaS focused event uh, uh, on an Asian level. Right. And, uh, uh, I was uh, uh, I was a speaker there, and um, after that, uh, I used to engage uh, with uh, with the organizing team, and then they they mentioned that uh, uh, we're looking for ambassadors to kind of kind of grow our chapter, and uh, you have strong network in India, you strong network in Indonesia. These are primarily the the SaaS hubs of Asia, apart from Singapore. So. That's when they invited me to to join the join the team as an ambassador, and I joined them. Awesome, fantastic. So let's uh, let's jump in into the journey. So my first my first uh, question, which uh, you know, which I often see from several uh, founders, is now Raghu had Raghu as a founder had a certain value proposition, had a certain go to market uh, thought process right? yes. um, before you came on board. So now you joined on board and then talk us through what were the things that you did, what you reviewed, what you found working well, uh, you know, some things that were not working well. What are the changes that you brought in to kind of steer the new growth roadmap? Okay. So um, even even with a, with a team of uh, about uh, 20 people, right, uh, uh, Yellow Messenger had a uh, uh, about about four to five enterprises on board, uh, even at the time when when I joined. So it it wasn't like a, a complete clean slate that had happened. So every startup goes through an initial phase of product led growth. Uh, that happens. Uh, so the early adopters were already on board. So kind of kind of having a, a, a referenceable customer base in India was was there from day one. Um, only thing we had to do is we never had the the sales army, the sales force wasn't present, so we had to we had to build a team uh, initially to to drive the growth in India, and then we wanted to channel out to to Southeast Asia, uh, and uh, not limited to to Singapore and uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, we wanted to take it to to multiple other uh, countries in Southeast Asia, and uh, the the understanding was there that we will get. Uh, a good response uh, in the across ASEAN countries. The reason being um, uh, the the conversational AI product that we do offer, right? And uh, ASEAN being a, a very chatty market. So if you if you look at the ecosystem, um, this has been the the region or been the market uh, where the the social messaging applications that are there today, the chat applications, have actually uh, seen. The, the peak. So apart from maybe Slack or or WhatsApp, uh, even Slack and WhatsApp uh, gained the momentum after entering Asia. But if you see WeChat, I mean the the super app, uh, you you, you right. probably will will not have a repetition of that. Uh, Zalo, Kakao. Uh, if you see all these applications, right? I mean, uh, Viber probably is alive because of Philippines. Um, and so so we knew that we will get a strong adoption here. But we wanted to understand as to uh, what 
what's the what's the secret sauce that we need to conquer in order to be in this market so we started taking those initial baby steps into uh, learning and understanding the ecosystem here um some of the learning that came in uh, didn't didn't come in easy so we we thought of oh, okay and of course we were a startup so there was always a, a, a kind of kind of a crunch in terms of what kind of investment we can put in um, entire 20 i think early uh, late 2018 and uh, early 2019 uh, we didn't do any any marketing at all um, i mean we didn't have a structured marketing team Uh, in order for us to do marketing but uh, we were acquiring customers uh, across southeast asia so uh, two strategies that we went ahead with was uh, we will create a strong demand generation function and uh, even when i had a six member sales team uh, in yellow messenger among that six member team i had uh, one person who was managing partner relations and uh, one person for for doing the inside sales cold calling function so we started with uh, uh, i mean we started understanding the market through the through the partner channel uh, so we em- embedded uh, their learning into ours and uh, we made them the the face of our learning and then of course we were reaching out to the mid market companies and trying to learn from them in terms of what's their expectation uh, and uh, how will they adopt a chat platform like ours and uh, uh a lot of lot of shouting from the rooftop we had to do because the the region that we were going in uh, had seen very failed attempts of uh, chatbots coming from uh, uh, north america coming from uh, other parts of asia israel so we had to do uh, a lot of uh, i mean we had to share a lot of learning uh, and th- doing all this without uh, marketing was uh, actually face to face interaction or interaction over call uh, where we were kind of kind of sharing this learning with them so along with this uh, we found that uh, we are getting certain market traction and that we used in our favor so the <coughs> i'm sorry so the the early market adopters uh, that we we got were uh, indonesia malaysia singapore uh, but then again we we went to an extent uh, of uh, reaching out to even places like cambodia and then the the best part about um, uh, yellow messenger has been that uh, we have always built uh, based on market feedbacks so we have never built uh, what is not uh, required in the market or or we have never built what we couldn't sell and uh, we have never sold anything that we we couldn't build so that uh, closed understanding and that the collaborative nature of the organization right have uh led to the the growth of the organization where it's backed by uh, product of course but it's spearheaded by by the distribution network that we have today fantastic uh i think from a timing point of view there's a right question here this is from uh, lalit from airmeet what's the foundational first step for a growth leader when they join a post product market fit startup okay so uh so understanding of course uh, all of us when we join any any new organization we always find out uh, what's our what's our tam uh, but uh, never get swayed with tam and uh, this is something which i practice whenever i um, hire a regional head or or whenever i'm i'm hiring a sales leader uh, uh, when i ask them to do a gtm and they come up with a tam sam analysis uh, that's something uh, which i i usually don't buy in uh what uh what is critical for a sales leader is when you understand your tam always find out uh how you can get to the top 10 or maybe the top 5% of the tam right if you have a strong strategy that's available with you in terms of how you can get to that uh, top 5% and that top 5% might be only 20 companies but those 20 companies should be uh, stone carved i mean it should be on the wall uh of your workstation and you should be looking at them every day in terms of uh, how you will acquire them and out of those 20 companies the moment you have acquired your your first 15% or 20% you know you have done it right so now it's it's only for you to replicate that practice and that will give you the needed growth that you need right and also the references right from the absolutely. first absolutely absolutely wins right 
exactly i recently uh, read uh, you know that the focus can even be up to 3% depending on the segment of the enterprise yes. that you choose yes fantastic so uh, talk to me about uh, you know your hiring philosophy so you joined in you looked at uh, you know setting up physical presence in these regions yes one due to primarily due to cultural southeast asia like india also loves uh, you know face to face interactions before they buy yes uh, you know and uh, so that's a primary reason for setting up uh, you know regional offices across southeast asia so when when you are at this uh, stage what has been your hiring philosophy of of setting up your sales teams so okay so um, there's um, one um, line by peter drucker which i remember in terms of hiring he said that uh, hire somebody to whom you would want your kids to report to something <laughs> and so uh, yeah so when you are when you are hiring somebody so when we hired in yellow messenger we actually didn't go for uh, even though we wanted to uh, reach out to the enterprises we didn't go out and hire the big oracle guy and the and the salesforce guy into the team early on uh, the primary focus was of whoever we are hiring should be hungry uh, should have um, that uh, zeal to to go and and get it because we were building a growth culture and when you are building a culture you know you you actually cannot have uh, uh, too many too many driving forces driving it from all around then you will end up uh, nowhere uh, you would you would rather need people who are ready to adopt to that culture and take that culture forward uh, and um, so for that we we look for a uh, uh, hungry young uh, uh, sales uh, stalwarts who who can come on board and can be groomed to be future leaders and and that has worked in our favors so we have hired them early on uh, in our journey in india we have groomed them i mean some of fabulous numbers i mean um, we we have uh, people in our team leading uh, different southeast asian territories they have done something like 21 enterprises onboarded in 6 months time uh, uh, in india and then we we send them to southeast asia and then in again another 6 months they onboard 26 enterprises in in southeast asia um, give the local players a run for their money because they are already in the game they have they have inculcated it so it becomes easier for us to to you know uh, kind of kind of hire these smart people all you have to do is uh, and this this comes from the very top uh, uh, in the organization that's been the organization's culture uh, in terms of uh, giving the ownership and the responsibility to people and making them accountable uh, for the actions that they are they are required to perform and uh, this is a trait which i i don't uh, see prevalent with the with the startup founders much but um, if you if you look at the founders who are really successful they have actually done that and there has been and it i mean there there's two sides to this coin of course uh, i mean there's been enough said said and done in terms of uh, how to hire the first vp but uh, there's not much uh, that's actually been told in terms of how a, a senior sales vp should choose his next organization or after he chooses the next organization what are the key traits that uh, he should look at in terms of uh, bringing into the organization or or the much needed changes for which he is hired now if you are hiring somebody early on um, uh, you expect them to bring certain changes or to help you support with certain aspirations that you have ours was more focused towards the aspirational goals that that we wanted and um, we knew it that uh, if once we grow uh, into a formidable size it's not going to be possible for for us to control this uh, this mammoth body from from a single point so we right. needed to build the next orbit of leaders who can take the responsibility and uh, break it down into smaller clusters make them accountable for those regions those territories for them to drive it today we have we have been able to successfully do it uh, across regions and uh, we have done it to a level where even our our inside sales team today uh is uh, broken down so there's one team which works out of bangalore and caters to the the english speaking markets uh, across the globe and then we have another team based out of buenos aires argentina which caters to central america and the non english speaking regions of europe so uh, and uh, 
I mean, much before COVID, we started uh, uh, remote management and, and remote collaboration. Uh, that was also another factor which didn't affect us uh, immensely when uh, we were we were all forced to work from home. Fantastic. So you, so what has been your mix of uh, hiring these, uh, you know, hiring these teams from from college fresh versus experienced folks because you're in the enterprise space. Initially, I'm sure, uh, and then you would also not have enough bandwidth to sit and train a bunch of uh, these folks. So, was there a conscious choice to look at experienced folks more because you're in the enterprise space uh, versus to look at uh, you know, young uh, salespeople? We didn't do that early on. We didn't we didn't hire uh, enterprise uh, uh, experienced folks early on. We rather hired we didn't hire freshers, but we hired people with. Uh, Three, three and a half years, uh, four years kind of experience. But we we hired people who had uh, that growth mindset in terms of, um, I mean, they, they will not shy away from numbers. Got it. So, uh, we, we hired people who had that uh, that zeal in them that, okay, uh, if I'm to run with this numbers, I'll do it. Uh, and never be scared of numbers in terms of what's coming your way. And then uh, we complemented that much later with, with senior resources from the industry. And uh, today also our, our hiring is a mixed bag of both. So we hire uh, senior uh, uh, members into the team. At the same time, we also have a, have a strong management trainee program. And that's something which, uh, where we hired like only uh, college freshers. Uh, last year, we, we hired approximately 21, 22 of them. Uh, and uh, this year, so far, we have we've already hired about 30 of them. Uh, and uh, this has, I mean, they they gradually uh, uh, groom up to be, you know, that uh, that initial level of foot soldiers who you need in order to keep the momentum going. Then we also had this thought that um, while we have a mixed bag of talent now in the team, we should bifurcate the team into doing enterprise versus mid-market and SMB. So okay. We have built an SMB team, and and either which way it was remote selling that was happening. So we built uh, we built out a remote sales team based out of Bangalore, uh, who reaches out to the the English speaking uh, countries across the globe, uh, and they really don't have any limitation in terms of territorial uh, reach out. So they reach out, and that drives our our uh, uh, I mean our SMB domain. And uh, these were actually, uh, this is a team which is comprised primarily of freshers. So I would say about 80% of the team comprised of freshers. Uh, and they have been into the system for, for something like six to eight months. Okay. Um, may, may come as a surprise, but the, the quarter in the middle of COVID, when we built, it for, built the team, in the first quarter, this team did 1 million in revenue for us. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, that kind of, uh, and then of course uh, the writing was was there on the wall that we should just go ahead and we should just uh, uh, build this team. And uh, currently, I'm I'm extremely excited uh, to make this into a hundred member team for in 2021. Awesome, cool. Talk to us, uh, talk to us a little bit on the on the pricing for enterprises, right? So yes. Uh, how do you analyze when you came in? I'm sure you saw some pricing uh, structure, strategy. Uh, you know, so talk to us about you know the way you went through about analyzing the existing pricing structures and what yes. was your discovery and you know to reach where you are today. So from a from a pricing standpoint, uh, we didn't we didn't had a, a very clear pricing strategy uh, when we we started off. So we. Uh, did a lot of experiment in terms of uh, what's the right pricing for us. And uh, since our um, key competency is uh, quite domain agnostic, persona agnostic, um, we were not quite sure in terms of what pricing is the right pricing. I mean, um, any pricing we were selling it at, uh, we always had the feeling probably there's some headroom that we left. Uh, we could have we could have pushed for a little more, and it's not that. Uh, and we were we were doubling the the deal sizes. Um, that's that's what was happening early on. But still, we we had the feeling that there probably is a uh, is a certain uh, gap that we're leaving 
in terms of uh, reaching out to the enterprises and positioning it to them uh, and a lot of thought went behind it and uh, not shying away from it so uh, i had experience of of sales but i i am not a pricing analyst i i don't know what is the uh, market ready to pay so it went through a, a lot of trial and error apart from the industry and the personas uh, we were also selling it in in multiple geographies for right. example when we were we were selling it in in philippines uh, or in singapore uh, that's a market where you know a conversational platform or an or an ai platform has been adopted earlier wherein when we took it to places like uh, vietnam cambodia uh, and uh, even malaysia thailand uh, we were met with um, i mean it it doesn't matter what's your product capability is uh, you are an apple so i'll compare you with an apple uh, so uh, that's that's what the what the understanding was and uh, um, we had to we had to do a lot of experimentation there in terms of uh, what could be a right entry point for us uh, how can we expand uh, in the market so uh, we took some we took some risk uh, which paid off and uh, primarily understanding the domain and uh, kind of kind of giving them an understanding of uh, what's a so where it does not uh, stick with a with a product component if you can't put a pricing level on the product component uh, the only other alternative uh, left for a sales guy to do is to kind of give them the understanding on roi or do a cost benefit analysis in terms of uh, what they can derive and uh, that's something which we we went ahead with and uh, that's where we saw that uh, the adoption slowly started coming in um, and a uh, lot of trial and errors like uh, being a conversational ai product uh, if we were telling i mean if we had to tell them that uh, this would minimize the dependency that you have on workforce i mean this i'm talking uh, pre covid era um, that was kind of very taboo in regions like indonesia so we couldn't couldn't tell them that uh, uh you know i mean you you will have lesser dependency of workforce or you you can have a certain amount of workforce work towards it um so we couldn't we couldn't do that so we had to play along as uh, uh it also gives you i mean you you are you have adopted a ticketing platform it can also do ticketing for you um so we had to we had to often focus on the components uh, which we never thought we will focus on and uh, that kind of uh, gave us that that uh, much needed entry points into those accounts and uh, it's always easier to kind of kind of drive a, a discussion uh, when you're talking to a customer versus when you're talking to a prospect uh, because a customer i mean i believe will listen to you uh, and a prospect uh, is made to listen to you uh, or or has to listen to you or have to listen to you so i think uh, that was another strategy where we said okay let's do land and expand so we were kind of um, doing an account capacity uh, matrix for a period of 24 months 36 months and we were then focusing on building a strong expansion team which can actually do the the job of a business consultant drive the adoption in those accounts and help us grow in those accounts so that uh, i mean there also we have uh, success stories where we have started with something as as low as uh, $800 a month and we have ended up uh, with something like $65,000 a month um, so these these are primarily driven by by the adoption and the consultation that we've done for these enterprises fantastic so uh, with conversational ai uh, you know you got different uh, stages of intelligence right so one is your basic 101 of faq or q and a uh, format and second thing is to have really intelligent conversations based on the existing data within the organization so when you uh, you know uh, when you try to approach a conversational uh, ai solution what how what was the mindset of giving access to data to kind of show the value proposition upfront to that customer specific use cases was there a strong objection uh, from these customers or was it was it a pilot and then go live a model pilots were paid they were free talk to us a little bit about that so okay uh, uh, a very good question whether the pilots are paid um, uh, the the usual market notion and especially it's there in india uh, uh, 
enterprises always believe that uh, pilots are never paid. Uh, that's a that's a strong sense uh, uh, within enterprises, and uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, all of us who would have sold to enterprises, uh, we kind of take it for granted that uh, in India nobody pays for planning uh, and nobody pays for pilot, and uh, pilot is deemed as the planning phase. But uh, the challenge that I have seen is. Uh, even if you have to charge them a dollar, charge them a dollar because uh, even that moves table. And uh, uh, I mean, at least five people in the company will know that um, the, there is a there's a product which is which is getting tested. Otherwise, uh, uh, very often it also happens that it stays within the user buyers, and the budget owners hardly know about it. Uh, and uh, it's at the discretion of the user buyers uh, that the, the success or the failure of the pilots depend on. So how uh, uh, we have done our pilots is uh, we have we also couldn't break the shackle of uh, uh, making all of them a paid pilot. So how we have done the pilot is uh, we have gone ahead and told them that fine, um, let's discuss what's the success criteria, what's the success matrix of the pilot. We will do uh, a one month, two month, what's, whatever is the pilot duration, we will do that. Uh, but let's define, uh, let's align with your definition of success from this. And uh, if after two months uh, the, we hit all the checkboxes uh, of the success criteria that you're calling out, uh, from the third month onwards, it's a, it's a paid contract. And uh, with that, uh, they have realized that uh, there's certain skin in the game. And in order for you to, so you're, you're getting a commercial approval early on. Um, you're getting uh, understanding of uh, uh, how the adoption's gonna be or where you need to, Plug it in. You're you're getting all that understanding early on. So both from a from a customer standpoint as well as a as a, a vendor standpoint, right? We get that clarity early on, um, and um, then we know what we have to do or how we have to drive those sixty days in order to make it into a contract. And uh, that's when the the adoption uh, matrix from a from a, a customer's end comes in, and we start working closely from a pilot itself with the customer which actually accelerates our uh, upsell and expansion opportunity into the accounts. So while we don't uh, shy away from doing free pilots, they're they're factually not, not free pilots. I mean, there's a clause behind it. If I'm able to hit uh, these checkboxes, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a contracted, uh, uh, I mean, it's going to be a paid contract. And this understanding is something which is made black and white uh, even before we go ahead with the pilot. Fantastic. I think that's a that's a very smart way to structure contracts as well, so that if the milestones are hit, they convert into a into a paid. So do you do you backtrack the paid uh, date? Suppose you hit the goals in the no. ninety days. No, no, that is that is something which we don't do. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, making them sign those dotted lines that uh, with ifs and buts itself. Uh, Right, especially especially when you're when you're dealing with Indian customers, but uh, uh, it's a it's a good learning for us. And uh, uh, I feel uh, partially our our sales teams, uh, which have actually moved from India to to the other regions of the world, right, uh, uh, go through that grilling with Indian customers. So uh, I always tell them on a lighter note, uh, it's gonna be a cakewalk. Don't worry, uh, you're sold in India. Do you see these cultural similarities in customers out in Southeast Asia as well? Somewhere, yes. Uh, some of the regions, yes. Uh, we, I mean, to to uh, me, uh, Malaysia is a much tougher market than Indonesia. Uh, or, uh, uh, I mean, for example, uh, selling in Philippines, uh, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, these are fairly easier markets than than selling in in Malaysia, Cambodia. These are these are kind of kind of uh, tougher markets to sell to, and uh, uh, then in terms of the, the and and that's practically because uh, the the evolution the IT evolution that has happened. So if you if you look at uh, Indonesia, Indonesia has uh, inched much closer to to Singapore in the uh, in the last couple of years. I mean, a uh, couple of days back, a couple of weeks back, I was I was reading. Uh, about adoption, and uh, there was there was uh, a note which said that uh, by 2023, 
uh, Indonesia will actually cross India in terms of the, the e-commerce adoption that's happening in the in the country. So the evolution of uh, the IT adoption plays a very critical role in terms of uh, how uh, any any market or or uh, any industry look at uh, the adoption that's happening. Um, we have uh, faced uh, similar challenges as we have faced in India. Although in India we don't have an adoption problem, it's it's more of a mindset problem. Um, okay. That um, I mean, I'm I'm only gonna pay only after I see the results. Uh, this is this is kind of a mindset problem. It's it's not a not an adoption problem, but um, we have seen uh, the trust factor uh, coming into into certain regions like like Malaysia. Um, of course, there there are uh, organizations, there are industries who are uh, doing heavy spends on digital. They understand uh, how digital is is played along, but uh, then otherwise uh, we get a lot of pushback in terms of. Uh, Doing a free pilot um, before they see the results is is not going to be uh, any discussion. Um, those are those are kind of real challenging situations for us to overcome. And uh, then it helps like if we have the those reference those top five referenceable names right, which can which can bring along and say that this is what we have done, and uh, it's it's more or less like this is what your neighbor is doing, um, right. and we have done it successfully. Uh, Will you will you give us a try? So that's a, that's a conversation starter in in lot of conversations in these regions. Fantastic. I think we'll open up for some questions. Otherwise, we'll end up having uh, this dialogue for a long time. Sure. Uh, another question from Lalit: If the product is getting traction across multiple customer categories, how should ICP or TAM be arrived at? I think I'll add another. Uh, Another category here, also across geographies. Okay, so <clears throat> so uh, Yellow Messenger probably is a is a primary example there. Um, we sell to multiple industries, we sell to multiple personas, and uh, this is so okay. To to answer this, this is something uh, uh, which we also consider when we are doing sales hiring because uh, uh, we often get uh, rock star sellers who are coming from a background of. Uh, Selling ERP CRM solutions, but then they were selling to one particular persona, or they are often given one particular industry to sell to. Whereas our product can be sell, I mean, can can be sold across the the CXO CXO level. I mean, I can I can have a sell uh, to CMO's office, CTO's office, uh, CIO's office, CHRO's office, and uh, I mean, we can we have uh, sold it to flamboyant retailers. Uh, who are into uh, lifestyle and fashion? At the same time, we have done uh, uh, business with companies which are into oil and gas, and we have sold it to them across 80 countries. So um, that also uh, is something uh, uh, where what we have done is uh, we have uh, from a from a product end, right? Uh, we have uh, broken down broken it down into core product. Uh, which focuses on the elements of a conversational AI platform, and we have layered that with uh, industry-specific uh, specializations. And uh, from a from an on-ground business standpoint, uh, we have taken that that global approach, where uh, uh, even though we are a global company, we are we are selling it across uh, uh, different regions. We are selling it everywhere. But uh, when it comes to, I mean, we have done deployment. Uh, in Cambodia, in Khmer language, uh, on Zalo, uh, which is, uh, uh, I mean, till we we actually had that discussion, we were we were never even aware that uh, we will have to build this capability. So that's bring, bringing in that that local uh, composition into our our business approach. So I think uh, the the TAM there uh, for us, the TAM has only grown. But uh, we have kept the focus on in terms of uh, if I have to um, attain it across. So you you added the different region. So if I have to attain those top five names in a region, I would see what's working for me, and I would try to replicate that first. Uh, and that would that would eventually kind of bring the command or or make the shift in the algorithm in terms of how I look at my TAM uh, and who I should go after versus what uh, a platform like mine should have an ideal tab. So I think uh, 
it it should be uh, flexible and agile in terms of who you want to go after and uh, who you want to bring in and that that should be your tam and that should define uh, how you would want to take it uh, ahead uh, chasing um, the the usual market norms uh, i think uh, that's not going to give you much success i mean it might be a a, a proven uh, process for somebody else but may not work for you got it i think uh, even from an icb point of view if you're having to sell to different uh, uh, you know product uh, different categories or uh, you know different user persona so you would have your icps defined by your uh, personas your value proposition aligned with your category and your personas that that meet both the you know the the, the business propositions and the emotional propositions of the of the buyer absolutely but um, often in our case what happens is uh, uh, we are so like in the in the i mean this is something which which uh, our teams face day in and day out they might be doing a conversation with the chro's office as a first meeting of the day and the next meeting might be happening with the cmo's office right while the chro's office is actually talking about uh, criticalities of business continuity and uh, internal automation the next when we are going to a cmo's office he is talking about adopting or or kind of automating the more flamboyant uh, uh, channels that are there and in terms of how he can do a wider reach and bring in more people to do conversation with the brand uh, and his uh, i mean he's not worried about business continuity but more on the on commerce and outreach is what his worries are so uh, from that standpoint uh, it's kind of a kind of a persona shift that's happening so until unless you have uh, certain formulas that you know have worked or or you can replicate over and over uh, which you have you have actually attained success with uh, it's dif- difficult to define a set tam and and move forward how long did it take to enter the us region this is from shabrish we took a different approach to enter the us region um, uh, instead of uh, entering the so the approaches that we took uh, as we did with all the other markets was uh, going ahead with channel partners that was uh, one of the approach uh, that we took the second approach that we did was uh, instead of uh, going to the brands directly while we were having a strong play and a uh, uh, more uh, recognizable name in uh, the asian region we started approaching the the center of excellence or the or the captives that are there and uh, we started uh, uh, engaging them Uh, before we could actually uh, enter the enter the us market and uh, that took us uh, about the first the first win that we had in the region was was over three and a half months uh, that we did and uh, the next one was a little over over five and a half months uh, those were kind of our early entries into the us market fantastic talk to us a little bit about the channel partner so uh you know there are many there are couple of founders whom i know are currently mulling this option uh, there are two types of uh, channel partners right one who just take you to customers uh you know who already ha- who already sell a bunch of uh, solutions or services to your target customer base yes uh you know there's another set of channel partners who can also be your enablers right mm-hmm. uh who can help you acquire new customers uh, you know either in a in a semi retainer or in a full retainer based model so yes. what what partnership models have worked for you what has been your learnings from working with partners uh you know if you can share some thoughts and ideas there sure sure so yeah bimlish very very uh, uh if find you you mentioned that uh, uh there are there are two types of uh, two types of channel partners uh, that we do work with so if i put them on and x axis y axis and i do the analysis right in terms of the the channel partner ecosystem that we work with i would define them as uh, we have uh, one of course would be the the enable partners and the other would be the managed partners that we do have and within that i can fi- further <clears throat> classify them as uh, something like uh, sell to partners and sell through partners uh, that's the classification that i will do so 
while the, the larger SI network that we work with are mostly sell to partners for us, right. where we become, uh, I mean, our offering becomes one of the quadrant in the, in the larger offering that they are taking to the end customer uh, too. And uh, the other would be a pure play uh, reseller network who already would have had a foot in the door in that particular account and uh, will give us the, the entry into those accounts. So while these are the, the uh, transactional uh, nature of the transactional relationship that we will have with the partners, the other one definitely would be uh, taking the understanding from this um, how do you manage them? So, uh, who are the who are the partners who you know are are kind of self sufficient or I mean they can either be self sufficient or you know uh, they are gonna gonna give you business once in a blue moon and you really don't need to invest your time and effort and money on them. So, uh, so you you should have the team focused more on your managed partner. So. Uh, out of out of uh, all the partners that we have, we have a, a certain set of partners with whom we kind of do weekly, bi-weekly interaction. We do a lot of uh, uh, co-marketing, joint events, joint efforts in terms of reaching markets. They are they are enabled, uh, they are managed and uh, uh, enabled on our product on a on a pretty regular basis. Whereas there's a certain set of partners uh, who uh are are aware of the product but they are they are not somebody who is who's dealing in the conversational ai space uh more often than ever so they are they are enabled on a periodic basis uh however the touch point in terms of uh, the digital touch point doing that today is very easy so that is something which we keep uniform however the the uh, the human touch point there is kind of i mean it's categorized in terms of how we cater to different partners and uh, uh, this is something which we have been uh, extremely cognizant about from from the initial uh, uh, the initial team that was there of, of about six to seven people from the initial days and uh, today we have structured out a, a structured uh, partnership program we call it gati uh, gati stands for uh, go ahead and go ahead transform it uh, and uh, uh, I mean, we enable our partners and uh, their product technology and their their sales team on Gati. We certify them, uh, and after that, uh, we class uh, we categorize them on managed partners and enable partners, and that drives our engagement forward. Got it. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Uh, there's a couple of questions coming now. Uh, which market did Yellow Messenger focus first? Uh, without any choice, that was India. Outside India, it was Southeast Asia. All right. Next question. This is from Justin Paul from Unboxed. Uh, considering you're selling to different verticals and uh, solving different use cases across the organization, how are you ensuring your sales folks are able to sell for different use cases or for contrasting use cases? Okay. So, so uh, we bring this specialization gradually, and uh, uh, this specialization. So, one thing which we don't do is we usually don't uh, shuffle uh, the, terri the territories too much for them. So, we keep them uniform to a territory so that at least they are aware of uh, the, the nature of the region or the culture of the region that they are selling to. And then, um, until unless you are you have spent a considerable amount of time in the organization. It's not going to be possible for you to sell to different personas. Uh, I mean, if you if you're starting in in say about uh, consumer facing markets like retail or or uh, CPGs, uh, it's uh, uh, the expectation definitely is for for you to kind of gain specialization in that domain uh, before you go into internal automation when you're selling HR focused or ITSM focused or finance focused solutions. So this is this is something which we give them the, the learning or the understanding in terms of uh, what is the need of the market and that understanding we get from our demand generation team. So from interaction with our partners, from the, the remote selling teams that we have, uh, we get that understanding in terms of uh, uh, where the I mean, what's the what's the actual demand or the need of the market, 
and then we we take our solution to the market and uh, we actually i mean we uh, push our product in in that particular uh, domain or that particular industry and gradually we build the capability so after we have sold us about uh, a solution which is into a uh, market facing um, a market facing solution after that if you are trying to do an upsell into the account uh, for internal automation we will bring in the specialization or the other specialist to actually do that and that's where we support our sales force also with the hand holding uh, that we do for them uh, that we do for our partners and uh, eventually it's an evolution right so eventually they pick it up and uh, after three four such interaction they they master selling it to different personas and different verticals fantastic uh next question is nandish from sap uh having a having an office in us was it a strategic move to show the world that you are a global company or were there better chances of reaching larger market share both um uh, it it was of course uh, it gave us the 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 added advantage of engaging with uh, many many regions early on like for example when we were engaging in middle east when we were engaging in in europe uh, or or uh, even uh, north america canada central america having an office in us uh, of course uh, helped uh, and uh, rather than calling ourselves uh, as an as an indian organization when we identified ourselves as uh, a us uh, headquartered organization that kind of uh, gave us a much needed tailwind that we needed and uh, definitely helped uh, in terms of uh, us uh, gaining the early traction into into multiple markets outside asia what what would be some of your top 3 top 5 things that you know as a sales leader that you would leave this group as your parting thoughts so um a sales leader is always driven by data and uh, this is something which i uh, which i've always uh, practiced is that uh, for me uh, faith and belief is limited to god rest is data so <laughs> uh, uh, anything anything that uh, uh, which there is no data for it does not exist for a sales leader that's uh, that's a golden rule of sales um second is uh, never leave leave money on the table um stretch uh, we have we have stretched from um, i mean we have doubled our our prices uh, i think i think four times five times uh, so never leave money on the table and and i i still believe we have headroom uh, just um, uh, just earlier this week uh, i was i was talking to a gentleman from uh, simon kanjur in uh, singapore and uh, are you saying that uh, uh, i would want to have a, a larger session larger discussion with you because uh, i think uh, uh, i think we we still can stretch our pricing make it more optimized i still feel we are sub optimal uh, many in the many in the leadership in the organization uh, uh, feels that uh, uh, i mean this is this is a healthy um, uh, pricing in which we are selling it uh, today but uh, this can definitely be be stretched further or optimized further so never leave money on the table uh, that's my my second point and uh, third is uh, uh, always uh, try to build the next orbit of leadership uh, from within the organization uh, that that always helps uh, if you have to if you have to stay agile uh, you want that flexibility of growth uh, bringing or or building that uh, next layer of leadership from the organization will give you that agility to to go in and and uh, venture into a new domain much easier and trust me this is something uh, even though i have practiced uh, i couldn't do it at a scale where where i could scale that fast so many of the the leaders into different markets for different markets uh, i have uh, i have i was forced to to bring in from uh, outside the organization Uh, although they have they have done uh, phenomenal in in the roles that they are in today uh, however i mean i would have had that agility or that strong a team that i could fall back on probably i would have gone to those markets much earlier god fantastic thank you so much uh, neil uh, you. up to the end of the session it's been wonderful interactions with uh, you know with the audience engaging with questions 
and you know thanks for answering uh, very insightfully a lot of uh, you know the journey aspects of what you have gone through at uh, messenger wish you guys all the very best uh, more growth more scale to see from you know from ella messenger in the future thanks bimlish uh, it was fun interacting with you uh, it was great uh, to be on this uh, podcast i mean i've been following your podcast uh, uh, i think you got my attention when you got mr ingram here uh, <laughs> and, uh, i've been i've been following your your podcast uh, for quite a while so it was it was great interacting with you wonderful so thank you so much everyone thank you thank you neil thank you so much